So, Will. Yes? One of the best friends in this movie has a honestly terrible mother. Oh, this is the mother who decides to move in with her daughter basically without warning? Nah, see, I was thinking of actually the other one. Who oh, good! Sp- spends all of her time criticizing her daughter for never visiting while making a very unwelcoming home. And leaving her out of the Christmas card? First of all, I choose to believe that the Christmas card that Liz is not in was never the main Christmas card. I think it's a single Christmas card made up to shame her. It's also, let's remember, it's a holiday card because they are Jewish. Oh, true, oh that's right, true. yes. Yes. Also, bold of you to use her name because... I feel like we don't learn their names until halfway through the movie. No, it is a weirdly long time. All of my notes refer to them as Blondie and Bestie. I think that's what mine say. <laughs> no, it says brunette. It's ah. so rude because you're just playing right into the issue at the core of their relationship. I know, I know. One of them is but second fiddle. Honestly, my favorite thing about Liz's family's household is just the open hatred that Liz and her friend Naomi seem to have for Sister Jojo. They're so, like, so rude to her. It's like outright contempt. And all we ever see from Jojo is that she's, like, perfectly lovely, but got into Stanford. And the other thing is, like, spoiler alert, but Liz got into Stanford too. So why is she, like, so judgmental? She's taking out her anger on the wrong person. Even if they didn't get into Stanford, they're like 30. They're too old to be mad about this. Especially considering that they are successful. Right. It's a weird situation because it's like she's angry about, you know, the new blended family while being way too old to like really resent her 18-year-old steps or half-sister. And at the same time, it's just like her mom clearly has made her feel left out. So I get it. We don't have time to follow up on what I'm about to say, but we will later on. This is a movie about two dumb ladies who just need to kiss. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we will get into that. But on the note of overbearing and overly critical moms, Will, do you have a favorite (laughs) critical mother from cinema history? I mean, I don't even know about favorite, but the first thing I thought of was uh, there's this guy, Bo, (laughs) and and he's afraid. (laughs) Great choice. Because Patty Lapone in Bo is Afraid, as the overbearing mother, truly incredible. Especially at the end when he is put on trial in a watery chasm. It just basically keeps for not building. loving his mom enough. And at the same time, in ways that are outside of his control. Ugh, that movie. She was building on her foundation from 30 Rock as Frank's overbearing mother, and then ratcheting it up one million degrees. Yes. The first mom I thought of was, in the spirit of Christmas, uh, Catherine You're talking about in the film, The Spirit of Christmas, that we've covered? The terrifying no. horror movie of Christmas? <laughs> I don't even think there is a mom in that movie. There is not, because she pointedly, like, doesn't have a family. She's the one who works on Christmas. Yeah. No, I was thinking, uh... Catherine Hepburn as Eleanor of Aquitaine in The Lion in Winter. Uh, You know, I guess she is an overbearing mom. Not in the way that I was thinking, but yes. She is very critical of her son, John, and often seems to want to kill him. So, in that regard, she has it in common with Patty Lapone in Bo is Afraid. (laughs) That is true. And also- And you know what? I think- I think John- 
I think John would also have sex with Parker Posey in her bed after she died. God, that movie. We're so close to talking about our top ten movies of the year, and I still don't know where to put it. I don't know how if to tackle it. I, I don't know. Right. We said after it came out, we were like, it doesn't exist on the like top to bottom continuum. It's like to the left. And yeah. I still haven't figured out where the left falls. Part of me feels like I should watch it again before doing the list, but like, you know, I got other stuff I want to rewatch. I want to watch Oppenheimer again. Yeah, there's too many movies. I've only seen Killers of the Flower Moon three times. Oh my God. Fiona. <laughs> Yes. Do you have any good moms from movies? Or I guess bad moms. So the first one that came to, came to mind for me was Joan Cusack in Ice Princess. I forgot that was her. Yes, it is. And despite her daughter being like a clear genius, the mother just insists that there is no time at all for any other extracurricular activities and is ready to like basically disown her daughter for wanting to get into ice skating because that's not the kind of people they are. Movies are so weird when they just decide to make something seem more scandalous than it is. Ice Princess, does is there a cute boy in that? Could we do that? Yes, I was just about to ask if you guys have done it on the podcast. We haven't. We probably should. I feel like the one reason not to is I think, like, all of our regular guests would demand to be on it. I was about to say, I volunteer. It would be our largest episode yet. A ten-person roundtable discussion of Ice Princess. Could be fun. I have tried to figure out how we would do a massive one where, like, we have, like, say, five guests and each one brings a point without talking to one another. We just tell them, okay, you're the third point. (laughs) That would be so chaotic. I'm very on board. I think that's the live show. Oh. Yeah. That we'll do as our next presentation party. You and I will just do a live show. Yeah, exactly. We should do the presentation party again. It was fun. I know. I've been thinking about that. Even though I was only there for, like, 20 minutes, it was fun. Nick found the pictures of you unbuttoning my shirt, Will. I don't remember why, but I stand by it. (laughs) I have to admit, I've never seen Ice Princess. Oh, Mark. There's a cute Zamboni driver. Here's the thing. I don't remember if it's any good. But what I can promise you is Kim Cattrall as an ice skating coach. I'm intrigued. Have um, I seen it? I may have seen it. And who's the mean girl? I don't know. I don't even remember who the Ice Princess is. I'm blanking on her name. Okay, hang on. I'm going to check. I think I saw this on Disney Channel. Last New Year's Eve, I watched oh. the decom about figure skating, where they play ice hockey because figure skating gets cut or something. And my internet kept going out. So it took me like two hours to watch that movie. So the ice princess is Michelle Trachtenberg. And okay. then the mean girl is Hayden Panettiere. Michelle Trachtenberg is from Buffy, right? Yeah. That oh. tracks. The guy who plays the dad in Kim's Convenience is in Ice Princess, apparently. And the cute Zamboni driver looks a little bit like Noah Centineo. It's not him, obviously, but they look similar. Was that a theatrical release? Oh, yes. I think I saw it in... Did I see it in theaters? I did not. I think the DVD had, like, a, a light blue case to make you think of ice... Well, we don't have our schedule built out for January, and it will still be winter. Half of it is light blue, and half of it is gold. Huh, I have no memory it's of that. It's like a, her two, can you see this? No, I cannot. No. Are you, wait, are you holding up an Ice Princess DVD right now? No, no, it's the picture on my phone. Oh, okay. But it's, it's her, it's her two personalities, the smart physics girl, back to back with the Ice Princess. I was talking about the actual, like, the physical case, not the cover. You're saying the physical case is two colors? Oh, no, no, no. Like the plastic? No, I think the plastic was just white. Oh, okay. 
the tagline for the movie is from small town mathlete to big time athlete. That's a terrible tagline. I hate it. <laughs> so far, no movie in the 21st century has beaten the simple genius of the tagline for The Meg. Taglines are an impossible art. And when you strike gold, it's truly impossible to recreate. Mark, do you know the tagline for The Meg? I don't know it off the top of my head, but I remember that it's incredible. Opening wide. That's it. Uh, it's perfect. So good. How about Snow Dad is better than No, ba- no Dad? So that's an incredible line, but that is not the line on the poster. Oh, really? No. Man, I really thought that, like, defined the movie. No, we just make fun of it because it's stupid. They really missed out by not using that as the tagline. Yeah. It looks like, oh, here's the, the tagline for Jack Frost. He's the world's coolest dad, and he's gonna prove it. Not as good as Snow Dad's better than No Dad. I think that's a little dark for the poster. <laughs> it's not horrible, though. Anyway, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative holiday podcast where we analyze the least important question facing our world. Does Hollywood holiday romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? Doesn't matter if the holiday romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, the titan of TV movies has returned to talk about this year's Hallmark Fair. Hashtag Fifi Fierce is here to talk about Never Been Christ. Hello! I don't know if I like that title. I mean, you've covered a lot of TV movies on this show. I have. That's not also not my first title on this show. Well, your original title was Hashtag Fifi Fierce. I believe your second title was The Lady of Lies. Or the, I think, I thought it was The Dame of Deception. That's what it was. I haven't lied on this show in a while. I've been really impressed. I was actually thinking about that when you were on two weeks ago. I was like, wow, you know, I used to have to have the ding ready every time Fiona told a lie. I now have the actual bell, so I could ding in real time. Ooh, I feel like I have to tell a lie just for the ding now. You don't have to, but you should You should do what your heart tells you. And your heart often instructs you to lie, which is something you should think about. <laughs> we'll see. So, um, we had some tech issues. So Fiona and I watched this a couple weeks ago. Mark, you are fresh on Never Been Christ. So do you want to take the point on sharing your thoughts on this? I hated this movie. (laughs) (laughs) This might be my least favorite of the TV holiday movies we've covered. Yeah, that's something I want to explore. Because it fails at every single thing it sets out to do. I have a question. Yes. Did, okay, the writers of this movie. Okay, the credited writer is Joey Botkin. Okay, Joey. Joey, are you serious? Or do you know what you're doing? Are you, like, did you write the dumbest thing on purpose? Or... Joey Bakken is a seasoned writer of holiday movies. Ever since 2017, they've written Miss Christmas, A Song for Christmas, Christmas at the Palace, Jingle Around the Clock, Cranberry Christmas, Christmas in Vienna, Project Christmas Wish, The Christmas Concert, A Maple Valley Christmas, Our Italian Christmas Memories, Hashtag Xmas... This is their career. I just need to know, like, when our friend Joey sits down to write, is he taking himself seriously? Based off that list, in only (laughs) six years, uh, no, because they are just there to cast checks. I will say, I am a little curious about our Italian Christmas memory. Oh, I would watch (laughs) that. Me too. Yeah. That was the one that stood (laughs) out to me too. Especially because right now, somehow I've ended up on the side of TikTok that is Tuscany real estate. 
So I'm I'm looking into buying a villa now. Joey Bakken has also written some non-holiday movies for Hallmark, including Love's Greek to Me, which, yes, is about a woman who travels to Greece and finds love. Are you saying Joey or jo- Joy? I don't know. It's J-O-I-E. Huh. He has Joy. All right. Sorry, Joy. I called you Joey. The other one that they wrote is called... I mean, there are some others that I didn't list, but it's called Three Bed, Two Bath, One Ghost. I must admit (laughs) that I am intrigued. (laughs) So that one is about a a real estate agent who is assigned a house to sell, but the house has a ghost from the 1920s that won't leave until she agrees to get back together with her ex. Oh boy. That's not what I was expecting. Nope. I'm still a little intrigued. So, Fiona. Yes. What are your general thoughts on Never Been Christ? It sounds like they are negative. They are quite negative. Look, I enjoy a bad Christmas movie. I think that sometimes they can be fun. I will rewatch and rewatch The Princess Switch or The Knight Before Christmas. This was so bad. There was nothing entertaining or redeeming about this. So, Mark, I know your answer, but... Have either of you watched many of this year's other Hallmark offerings? I have not. No. I think they're worse this year. Hmm. I've seen three of them at this point. I saw this, I saw A Merry Scottish Christmas, (laughs) and I saw A Season for Family. And every one of them kind of has some of the problems that we see with this movie, where despite the fact that, like, there's relatively new leadership at Hallmark in charge of programming, and they've talked a lot about trying to make their rom-coms more calm. Like, none of those movies are terribly funny. I think the writing is sloppier on all of them, where, like, this movie is full of some of the clunkiest exposition I've ever heard. It's like they saw a Sorkin resume speech and tried to do it, but without any of the skill of either the writing or the actors involved. I just, like, I have been really frustrated with these movies this year, kind of like you're saying, Fiona, where... I can put up with some silliness, but it feels more like laziness. Yeah. When we got to the end, like, when we got to the peak of the fight, like, when they were at their lowest, I looked and there were, like, six minutes left in the movie. Yes! So the funniest thing about this movie is that it is actually unclear what story it's trying to tell. (laughs) Too many. It is really hard to tell as the movie goes on, like, what is the resolution? Is it Liz with Chris? Is it Naomi with Chris? Is it Liz and Naomi together? Is it Chris turns out to be like a criminal because everything we know about his personality turns out to be a lie? (laughs) But nope, the joke is just, he's a pescatarian! Sometimes. This movie made me feel like feminism had gone too far. Because I was just (laughs) like, you can't, like, you were sucking at telling the story of successful women. Like, it's making me madder than seeing a movie that is just, like, heteronormative nonsense. Well, their business doesn't make any sense, right? It's a dating app with usernames? Well, and it's, but it's not a dating app so much because it's called Friend Finder, right? So is it just for, like, is it, like, it's called just Best Friend. Oh, Best Friend. That lets you know that they're best friends. But, like, okay, so at the very beginning of the movie, they're getting ready for their meeting with an investor the next day. And she says... Blondie says that her pitch is literally, we need money, so give us money. Was she just joking? Or, like, is that really the approach she just takes to business? I don't know, but it worked. Kind of. The woman seemed skeptical. No, because they get an offer to buy their company later on in the movie. but that's later. 
that's Liz's pitch, but Naomi is the actual pitch woman. Like, that's her job. Right. Okay. Liz but, just but, writes the code. But in terms of, like, yeah, like, bad portrayal of feminism, the fact that, like, Liz got into Stanford and didn't go because she was worried about her friend being upset. And so instead they go to Iowa together. And then just the way that they run the business together, the fact that everybody does assume that Liz is the business and Naomi's is just the bestie. Like, I don't know. Honestly, in the real world, the power dynamic would be the other way. Agreed. If Naomi is raising the money, scheduling the meetings, all that, and Liz is writing the code, Liz would work for Naomi. Oh, yeah. Except that the relationship here is the relationship in the movie The Social Network. Uh, It is, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Which is an Aaron Sorkin movie, I'd like to note. The movie that has the name that is just another movie's title lacks original thought. And who could have guessed that? It's so obviously a title-first movie. (laughs) Because the explanation of what it means to be Chris doesn't make him attractive. It's like, he's the hottest boy in school. Every girl makes out with him. And once they do, she's been Christ. I just, like, if you're gonna call your movie Never Been Christ and it's a Christmas movie... It has to be about Santa! It has to yeah. be about Chris Kringle. Good old Chris Kringle. Like, you could so easily remove Christmas from this movie. But what if instead, the Chris in question was a hunky English teacher slash handyman. Slash ex-marine. Slash woodworker. Slash electrician. Slash vegan. (laughs) Only sometimes. (laughs) I didn't care for Chris. No, I I didn't either. My other quick question is, did you notice that Naomi is the same actress who is um, the older sister in To All the Boys I've Loved Before? No. I didn't know it at the time, but I know it now. Yep. It's Janelle Parrish, who was also in the main cast of Pretty Little Liars. Well, I, which I've never seen. She was also in a 2014 Lifetime movie called High School Possession. So she's doing great things. Mark, High School Possession is about Lauren, an editor at her high school newspaper who believes her best friend is possessed and tries to get a reverend to conduct an exorcism. When the All reverend right. refuses, Lauren takes matters into her own hands. Put it on the schedule. Give Melissa a call. Okay. One thing I did appreciate about Chris is he is a bit less cookie-cutter handsome than a normal Hallmark lead actor. Like, he's still conventionally attractive, but I, like, he's less Ken doll. Yeah, he didn't look, like, fake. I didn't, I don't know, I did not find him that good-looking, though. Well, Mark, if you like seeing him, Tyler Hines, in a Christmas movie, I have good news for you. I'm terrified. Well, he... Uh, he was in Falling for You, which is a fall romance, also written by Joy Bakken. But since 2018, Tyler Hines has appeared in It's Christmas, comma, Eve, and also The Mistletoe Secret, oh Winter gosh. in Vale, On the Twelfth Date of Christmas, My Christmas Family Tree, An Unexpected Christmas, Three Wise Men and a Baby. It's time for him to come home for Christmas. I didn't actually say I liked him or found him attractive. I just think it was nice that we don't have, like, plastic-looking guy, like in Christmas Kiss. Three Wise Men and a Baby is another title-first movie, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Walking through more of this movie's Christmas pedigree, it's directed by Jeff Beasley, who is a Canadian ginger who's directed a number of Christmas movies, including, Fiona, just shout out if you've seen any of these. (laughs) No Time Like Christmas, Radio Christmas, 
The Christmas Club, Holiday Date, Let's Meet Again on Christmas Eve, Project Christmas Wish, Snow Kissed, A Kiss Before Christmas, A Christmas Cookie Catastrophe, <laughs> and also The Santa Summit, which came out the week after Never Been Christ this year. Uh, and of course, he also directed the Halloween movie, Pumpkin Everything. So I have not seen any of those. Fiona, you know, I'm really questioning your credentials this year. Huh? Or maybe, Mark, my standards are getting a little bit higher. I think that's the issue. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I think that might be the problem. Talking about how bad they are has made you more cognizant as you watch them. But also, I think this is a lot worse than... Like, for a while, we were doing the Netflix ones, right? And I think those are better than these. So we did a couple of the Netflix ones. And, of course, you know, like, Spirit of Christmas was Lifetime. Christmas Kiss was on Ion. We actually haven't done a lot of Hallmark ones. And I think that's the thing here. Hallmark is just worse. So I did read this interview with the head of programming at Hallmark. And one of the things that she talked about was trying to bring more comedy in, which I would say she is largely failing at. But it's also interesting reading the way that she talked about like making Hallmark movies because she used to be at Netflix. And she talked about how at Netflix... You could basically make anything because it's just going to sit on Netflix next to a mishmash of other things. There's not really a brand of what Netflix is. Whereas at Hallmark, like every pitch has to start with how does it fit with the Hallmark identity? And she talked about anything they want to do to nudge in a different direction has to be a deliberate nudge. And if you ask me, they're failing at most of those nudges. I don't think the movies are becoming funnier. I also think they're largely failing at making them more diverse. We all looked at the lineup of all the Hallmark movies this year. I think there's only one Mahogany movie, which is the title for movies about black people, the like subcategory. Now, this movie did mention Hanukkah. It did, yes. And there is one explicitly Hanukkah one, but it feels like that is not as real a commitment as it ought to be. Like the one actually interesting thing happening at Hallmark to me is they're dipping their toe into things that are not set in the present. And far and away, the best Hallmark Christmas movie of last year was The Holiday Spectacular, which is set in the 1950s, and it's about a woman who wants to join the Rockettes. Hmm. That does sound like more avenues for interesting filmmaking. And that, the period setting totally unlocks that movie, where it's doing some of the typical, like, Hallmark romance things, but... Frankly, it does the kind of thing that this movie wants to do, where it's, like, actually a lot about, like, female friendship. And, like, has romance as part of it, but that's just a part of it. But that movie feels like it's able to get away from it in part because it gets away from all of the visual cliches. And it kind of frees that up. So, this year's period stab, we should have done it. If I had known it was a period movie, I would have pushed for it. Is Biltmore Christmas. Which I thought about watching as I record from Asheville, North Carolina. I am, my interest has been piqued. Yeah, so that one is also a period set one. Apparently there's a whole section of it that's in black and white. Well, it's a time travel movie. Yes. Didn't realize that. So that is the one that I'm pinning my hopes on. Because, you know, I wish that I had never been Chris. I Are you saying that you have watching been Chris? Did Chris Silver kiss you? Chris Silver did not kiss me, but it could be that, you know, I don't know, maybe he did in the window where he felt like just Chris, because we're told at the end that he is starting to feel like Chris Silver again. (laughs) This movie is so dumb in the way that it, like, 
it is the just about a bunch of people who never moved on from high school, right? And that like, drove me nuts. I gotta be honest. Liz and Naomi hate JoJo for getting into a college they didn't, which is like some 18-year-old crap. And then also, when they are like going out, the thing that they won't do is sit with the cool kids from high school, even when they're inviting them over. And then these people hang out constantly. And then they play Never Have I Ever, and all of the questions are about high school. And then right. they talk about their winter dance in high school, and then they plan a like an adult They plan winter a last-minute reunion to have all the people they hang out with every day anyway. And they're going to do the whole, like, it's not prom, but like prom king and queen at it, too. It's extremely weird. It's so annoying. I wanted it to happen because I wanted her to get carried. I was getting such strong Liz Lemon at her high school reunion vibes at the beginning, (laughs) where it was going to turn out that they were actually, like, horrible to these other people. That would make more sense. Well, they did at one point when um, Liz is hanging out with the other people. I think they go to karaoke or something, and she finds out that the other blonde girl thought that Liz was super cool back in high school and they like they thought she was just like too cool for everything i think the other big thing we need to talk about is the fact that this is like a movie about haze code lesbians they just are so in love these best friends who are just constantly talking about how what good friends they are they live together and when they go to their hometown (laughs) instead of staying with their respective families because there is a bed in liz's mom's house that she's not using they sleep in bunk beds together so they don't They don't actually live together. They live right next door to each other. They, like, have a duplex together. All of the houses they show in this movie are hideous McMansions that have at least six bedrooms. And speaking of that, how does Chris afford that house on a teacher's salary? It's the extra money he gets for being a handyman. (laughs) Right, right, right. Okay. And he's the, let's be clear, he's the department chair. He's got big bucks. Oh, true. He locked in one of those 2008 subprime mortgages. And he's set for life. But managed to actually hold on to the house it is funny trying to count the christmas trees in naomi's mom's house because there's like in any given shot you can usually see three i did think it was weird that liz stayed at naomi's house i think it's weird that they stay in the same bedroom when there's clearly like six other bedrooms (laughs) to choose from mark they're just good friends they like sleeping in bunk beds together (laughs) and they get really upset when they kiss other people like it's clear that that was the main plot but that's not yes. how they ended up presenting it because it's a Hallmark movie and it needs to be romance. I was just right, about uh, to frankly, say. it's weird. I'm not convinced that their fight is properly resolved. I watched the end of that movie and I'm like, by next Christmas, those two will not be speaking to one another. Right. Mark, this what were movie, you going to say? Yeah. This movie gets the exact amount of everything wrong. Like, the amount of their conflict and resolution is wrong. The amount of focus on Chris is wrong the amount of focus on the weird high school friends is also wrong like nothing works what do you think of the high school friend who constantly mentions like his wife is home with a newborn oh but gosh. he and he's always like i'm gonna go home to do that but he never does I he's know. always at every party that's what i do. like how if i were his wife i would i would be so mad maybe she's getting chris on the side or maybe that or maybe he's really annoying and she wants him out of the house he seems like he would be a bad father yeah I hated everyone in this movie. Same. Picking the person I would choose to date at the end is going to be very difficult. I think I have my answer for that, though. I gotta say, one other thing about this is that I watched this movie, 
like I said, like two and a half weeks ago at this point, the night after my wife ran the Richmond Marathon, we just kind of like flopped in the hotel and pulled up Never Been Christ, which had aired the night before. But I had not brought my notebook with me. So we had ordered pizza and I took all of my notes on paper plates. So I have just been storing a stack of paper plates for the last two and a half weeks. How many plates? And as we go through this episode, I've been flipping through these plates that I numbered to make sure they wouldn't get out of order. How many plates is it? I've got three. Oh, okay. Oh, I. this is one thing in my note. When we were talking about how Chris looks different from the other Hallmark things, I wrote that he looks like- He's not like, like other boys. He looks like a Z-list Pedro Pascal is what I wrote. <laughs> That's accurate. Yeah. Like there are hints- but it's nowhere close. He has no charisma. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's funny that these girls are, like, obsessed with him because he has no charisma. You have to imagine that, like, he was maybe, like, a hot athlete in high school. And he did that play helped. ice hockey. Yeah, and that made him cool. And the reason that he is, like, single now is because everyone else in town has realized that he's boring. They've been and there, Chris, that. A weird liar about being a vegan (laughs) i need to know frankly how many men liz and naomi have each been with because they're so weird about chris it feels like they've never kissed anybody does it feel like they're still in high school it feels like they're still in high school it feels like correction they have kissed somebody it's each other (laughs) i feel like if you want to watch a good version of the romantic plotline of this movie you should just watch barb and star go to vista del mar Ooh. Because it's basically the same idea of two best friends both falling in love with the same man. I read two reviews of this movie, and both of them talked about it extensively in comparison to Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Uh, to be clear, both of these reviews were positive. What? Oh. So there was one review at TV Fanatic by someone named Carissa Pavlika, who I think might be an AI, but she wrote that, Hallmark's ability to capture the holiday spirit is indisputable, but with Never Been Christ, they've tapped into the very essence of festive nostalgia and the enduring power of friendship. No, they haven't. I have much more from the Decider review, which I know is by a person, because I have a one-sided internet feud with him, which is just, I don't like him. (laughs) His name is Brett White. He used to write for a comic book website, and he has bad taste. So I have followed his career with fury. For like six years. How could you Happy like this you. movie? So he wrote, Continuing with the Romy and Michelle comparison, Janelle Parrish and Pascal Lamoth Kipnis are a truly dynamic duo who complement each other perfectly. Yeah, because they're in love. Um, he said, There's actually a higher degree of difficulty here than in Romy and Michelle <laughs> because Parrish and Lamoth Kipnis aren't just playing besties. They're working together to create the film's emotional core and these two actors make that happen. Is that implying that Romy and Michelle aren't the movie's emotional core? It does imply that. Never Been Christ is another boundary-pushing holiday rom-com. What boundaries? From an increasingly bold yet still cozy Hallmark channel. For one thing, this is fully a rom-com, a hybrid of the two genres, as opposed to a romance with a few light chuckles and pratfalls sprinkled throughout. I did not laugh during this movie. This honestly feels like the kind of rom-com you'd see in theaters in 1992 back when big studios were cool with releasing films with small concepts. Parentheses, high school besties both get a shot with their mutual high school crush. Never Been Christ is another winner, and maybe even another contender, for a Hallmark Holiday Movie of the Year. Like, they got paid, right? So, him, I actually don't think so. I think he just has terrible taste. It just doesn't make sense. 
The thing is, like, Hallmark ratings are actually really strong this year. There have been several weeks where they're higher than they were last year, which is not really a thing that happens on linear television these days. The thinking is that some of that is probably because of the strike, right? The traditional networks don't have original programming. Oh, okay. But, like, when A Merry Scottish Christmas premiered, which is very dumb, it was the number one thing on cable that week besides Monday Night Football. Was it any good? Um, no, I think it's a little better than this, but not a lot better. Mark, you would probably enjoy yelling at it more because the premise of it is that the very Scottish Lacey Chabert and her brother, they've lived as Americans, but they discover that actually their mom is secretly Scottish nobility and has regained a claim to the castle, and they have to decide which of them will be her heir to become the Duke or Duchess of whatever place. Is there not, like, a law and or precedent that would decide that for them? No, it's very clear that they could choose, and in the movie, it's possible for both of them to choose. So, what's the point of the movie? I mean, that's a great question. Wait, it's possible for them both to take the role? The movie claims that that's possible. The movie did not get into my question, which is, does the estate have a seat in the House of Lords? Well, if they're a duke and duchess, they must, because that's, like, almost royalty. Yeah. Second to the king. I feel like this movie, even if I was, like, drunk and watching with friends, it wouldn't be fun. It's too incoherent. It's not clear what story it's trying to tell. Yeah. So, I think we just have to talk about the romance of this movie. It's difficult to talk about because it is so fuzzy. I will say, just looking at the romance of it, one thing that was kind of interesting about it was, this was a little spicier than a lot of Hallmark movies. This movie has several kisses in it. It does. It does. Including, like, fantasy kisses. Mm -hmm. Right, but the, the usual Hallmark rule is you get one kiss at the very end of the movie. And... There's a kiss in this like 30 minutes in, and it's a real kiss. Now, there's a, a fantasy kiss later, but like they're going, and the, the kiss at the end is pretty steamy for Hallmark. Wait, who's the first real kiss? Um, I think it's Liz's uh, fantasy of kissing Chris. Oh. Okay, it's Liz's fantasy, and then Naomi kisses him? Right afterwards. For real. For yeah. real, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we'll talk a little more about. I just don't understand what, like, this movie is doing in a way because i also was very surprised to see a bakery called pretty baked there were so many jokes like that where they like thought they were being hip and edgy and it just this is where i'm like what it's also half a joke right it's not that clever right like it's not funny it's just confusing all right well Fiona, as you know, every week we break down the holiday romance into five holiday points to help us understand whether it makes any sense. So as our guest, we're going to ask you to guide us through the convoluted romance of Hallmark's 2023 offering, Never Been Christ. All right. As my Christmas gift to you, I'm bringing back point zero. Oh my gosh. And it, it actually really works here. I wish I'd never been zeroed. It just gives us the backstory that back in high school, bestie Naomi had a huge crush on Chris Silver, but Chris used to hook up with a lot of girls. And so Blondie and Bestie, they came up with their own little phrase that was whenever a girl had hooked up with Chris, they would say that they had been Chris. And so they have never been Chris 
get it. So is Chris just like working his way through the entire school? Kind of what it seemed like. So that was that was their high school MO talking about never being Chris and and then here and then we flash back to the present where they are two single adults on dating apps and, you know, living their lives. Right, they're definitely not in relationships with anybody. Right. I think the first scene is them swiping on an app. I assumed yeah. it was their own app. Would you, no, if you made an app, it's a would dating you use app. it yourself? Yeah, I would have, I assume I made it for myself. Okay, but they're on definitely on a dating app, and theirs is for friends. Right, they already have a best friend, so they don't need their own app. Right. But they do need to use Bumble. They're trying to help others find the same best friendship that they have. So it's just a dating app for lesbians. Yeah. I gotta say, this movie started off on the wrong foot for me when, I want to say it was Naomi, went on a whole thing about It's a Wonderful Life, talking about like, yeah, George Bailey should have just wished for more money. And it's like, that's not the premise of It's a Wonderful Life. He didn't have a genie. (laughs) Yeah. No, she says he should have like, wished that he had a chance to do it all over instead of never being bored. One of them says he should have asked for more money. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But they they do make a lot of references to It's a Wonderful Life and, you know, whether or not it makes sense to want to start your life over and redo it. So it's, like, weird that they reference It's a Wonderful Life so much, but then they they make the title of the movie about never been kissed. It's like they just wanted to hit as many things as possible, like... Right, the movie could have been called It's a Wonderful Friend. Right, or It's a Wonderful Chris. Or It's a Frienderful Life. <laughs> yeah, they could have kept to the theme without just trying to word vomit movie references. I'm confused about how successful they're supposed to be. Because when they meet Chris, he tells them, you guys are Weston's big success story. But their app seems to be pretty early in development. Aren't they going for like Series 1 funding or something? Series two. Series two, which still, like, it seems like this thing is not actually that prominent. And they also don't really seem to understand how, like, the VC system works. Because their company is being bought, and they both seem to think that means they won't work there anymore. But it's being bought by someone who thinks what they're doing has value. They're expected to stay there. Yeah, this movie has no idea how this works. Yeah. The one thing it's right about in terms of tech is that the movie has appropriate contempt for cryptocurrency. (laughs) I did appreciate that. I did enjoy that line. I think the app is very successful. And this is funding to expand its services because it's grown. It's like hit the limit of what it already offers is how I took it. Because they both have nice houses in the Bay Area. Right. And even like, even if they're not like the biggest app out there, like, I bet everybody from their town knows about it and knows what they've done in the same, like, you know, like, there was a girl from Gaithersburg who was on The Voice. And then for a while, they were like, oh, it's our big star. She didn't win. But like, it was someone like, it could be that the whole team or the whole town is just like rallying behind them. But like, that girl from Gaithersburg was on television. True. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, they're friends. They've never been kissed. I think the only people they have kissed is each other. Yeah. So that's point zero. Just giving us a little backstory. They're just two gal pals who live next door and when they travel, they share bunk beds. Yep. So should we move on to point one? 
sure, we should be there already. (laughs) Well, here we are now. So (laughs) patience is a virtue. So point one is meeting Chris. So, you know, they decide they're going to go home for the holidays. And as we've said many times that they stay together when they travel. But when they get there, they're in, I I think they're in a coffee shop. And they're talking to each other about who they might like to run into from the high school days. And they decide that it's Chris Silver. And while they're there, they turn around and he actually shows up. So their wish has been granted. The early Christmas wish, I guess. And so they kind of meet again. They chat a little bit to catch up. It's a very weird scene. What are you doing here? I'm just helping out with some electrical stuff. I do a bit of handiwork on the signs. You guys, uh, Christmas shopping? Yeah, yeah, just trying to fix an entire year of complex family dynamics with a perfect holiday gift. (laughs) Sounds doable. That's probably better than my guess. I do a bit of woodworking, so I handmade everybody tea boxes this year. I love tea boxes. I also love tea boxes. Okay, maybe it's a good gift after all. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) All right, I better get to work. I'll see you guys tonight. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. He does a little woodworking. I know. It's like AI algorithm, the perfect man. Yes. In part because he's weird. He is, like, blatantly flirting with both of them in every scene he's in. Right. It it always feels like he's angling for the threesome. He is. And, like, there are multiple points where, in my notes, I wrote, he is a polygamist. He is going for the the, uh, the three-way. Later on, he invites them to a party, but he texts them separately, even though he knows they're together all the time. Right. I joked with Nick that the twist of the movie would be that he's FLDS. That's what I, I I kept writing. He was in a Mormon cult. So, like, I guess the point where it really escalates is when they go to the bar. And the thing that I don't understand about the bar is why they're wearing the Christmas sweaters. Because one of the driving things is that Liz is Jewish, but Naomi's mom is super into Christmas. And she has, like, 12 Christmas trees in her house. One for each day, I assume. And also insists on them wearing these terrible Christmas sweaters. And so... When in the next scene, we see them both begrudgingly wearing the sweaters, I assume they're going to an event with the mom. But no, they're just walking into a bar, the two of them. They don't have to wear the sweaters. They could lie to the mom. They could be like Fiona. What happened is Naomi put on the sweater at home to make her mom happy and walked out because she felt too bad to change out of it. And then because liz knew naomi would still be wearing the sweater she put it on in solidarity because that's one of their big things is that liz keeps telling naomi she needs to set better boundaries with her mom right what i'm saying is they could lie to the mom and not actually wear the sweater you wear it out the door and then you put on something else yeah change like like wear a millions of kids it. do every day to go to school yeah but that would require too much thought i don't think they I think hate that this much movie. yeah naomi re- never really impresses me with her Street smarts. I do have one more quick comment that I just remembered that's not really related to the romance, but we talked about the overbearing mom, how Naomi's mom like wants to move to the Bay Area and move in with her into her apartment. But like she comes up with the idea and she's ready to move like the next day. She's packing up her Christmas decorations before right. Has Christmas. She sold her house? Yeah, like she is like She's taking down her Christmas decorations before Christmas to get ready for this move that she just thought of. See, this movie is just so lazy. Like, it puts no thought into whether things make sense. It just does it to move the story along. And I don't know, but some of it does make sense. But some of it's like so deep, right? Like, like Chris, he's not like other guys. He's into the Great Gatsby. I. 
He's into misunderstanding The Great Gatsby, too. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I think his speech about how The Great Gatsby is a book about how you can't repeat the past is is really powerful and profound, and it makes me want to get Christ. He's like, the, he's not even trying to recreate the past, exactly. No. If anything, it's like the opposite. Gatsby is trying to get away from the past. While still holding on to Daisy. Yeah. It's so funny that this movie like comes to a stop for him to deliver his thoughts on Gatsby as the de- English department chair, and they're stupid. <laughs> and, like, you picked Gatsby because, like... I assume you, Joy Bakken, have read it, but so has, like, everybody in America. Like, it's not impressive that he has thoughts on Gatsby. If anything, you should do Moby Dick, because then you can at least make a dick joke, which seems to be something this movie would do. Yeah, also a lot of people haven't actually read that. They just know about the whale. Right. But yeah, so they're at the bar. They're hanging out with the, the cool kids from high school. And they catch up. They find out that Chris, you know, joined the Marines and now is a teacher. And then he invites them to a party for the next night which is interesting too because these people go out every night yeah the number of things he invites them to i'm like didn't they come home to see their families and like they like barely see their families i mean i kind of get it right i've seen their families (laughs) (laughs) yeah i understand why they would leave liz was cut out of the christmas card (laughs) naomi's gonna get to spend plenty of time with her mom soon enough that's true all right do you want to move on to point two Let's do it. So I call this point group dates and polygamy. Fiona, why does point two have three subpoints on the script? Well, because it's just all the all all the different group dates. Okay. We don't have to go through each one, but like just mention them. So basically, Chris, throughout the we, I don't even know how many days it is that they're there, but multiple times he will text both Liz and Naomi together and say, "Hey, want to come to this with me?" And but sometimes all- he texts them separately. And sometimes it's an in-person invite, but there's the party where they play Never Have I Ever, and all of the questions are about high school, basically. And this is where one of the items was that Never Have I Ever had a crush on Chris in high school. And uh, bestie Naomi did eat a cookie, because that was, instead of taking a drink, you would eat a cookie. Which is dumb. Yeah. Like, is the premise just, by the end of the night, you're like, oh boy, Chris ate so many cookies. Yeah. And, um... We got him! And he clocks, he clocks that she ate a cookie after that one, so he knows, and he mentions to her that, oh, I always noticed that you used to blush around me in high school, which, I don't know why he would remember that, but he did. Weird. Right, this stuff that happened, like, 20 years ago. Right. To a girl that he never supposedly Chris in high school so i just don't buy that i love in the never have i ever stuff that all the background actors just continue doing party business so what that means for the scene is like eight people insist on doing never have i ever with cookies while all the other people at the party are like i'm not doing that yeah oh, they're that just there so to be bad. like normal adults i know i was like why is it a small subset you imagine all of them looking over and being like what are they doing get over yourselves and like it's Ted, just, don't you have a teething sense. baby? None of it makes sense. So then they go to a gingerbread house making event, which uh, is specifically described as being a vegan event. I don't understand. This seems to be a small town, and I'm just surprised at how many different like vegan events there are in this like small town. I don't even know like where this town is supposed to be, but is it in Iowa? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's why they went to Iowa. Maybe it was their state school. 
That's what I assumed. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just surprised that like a tiny town in Iowa would have a lot of vegan things. I don't know. You know, some of the cities have Democrats. Yeah. Is this even a city? I mean, it's it's a Hallmark town. So everyone drives everywhere, but it looks picturesque. Yeah. So they're at the gingerbread house thing. And this, at one point, each of them leaves the table and then he bonds with the other one that's still there. It's so funny watching him do this. Just like switch on a dime which one he is flirting with. He's like, look, by the end of this week, I'm either going to have been Liz or naomi and I don't really care <laughs> which one. He does not care which. Because he's already crisped everyone else in town and no one's coming back for seconds. Right. Because he's a dud. But yeah, so, and they like make a point at one point. They're like, this is not a group date. This is a group hang. It's all fine. I do not think that he thought that. I think it was a group date for him. Especially because he like talks to them about love. And like Liz said that she's an acquired taste. And like he's having these emotional conversations with each of them. And he he talks about how he wishes he had been there for them in high school. Well, she was too busy playing EverQuest, which I assume was RuneScape. (laughs) Probably. And then, so another group date is they go ice skating. Like the Ice Princess. Yes, exactly like the Ice Princess. And so at first, Naomi, so she's bad at skating. So she tells them to go ahead without her. They skate. And this is where we have that imaginary kiss where Liz, who claims to not be interested in Chris, is like daydreaming about him catching her and then kissing. Instead, she just straight up falls. And then she has to sit out while Chris and Naomi skate, and they do kiss for real. Yeah, she was given the right signals. So that's that's kind of the end of point uh, two for us. Multiple oh, group dates. You're going to skip over the part where Chris puts his glove on Naomi's foot? Oh, I forgot about that. That was right? so weird. We learned a lot about what Chris is into, and it's multiple women and foot stuff somehow. Because then when he wears his glove later, it'll be like he's wrapped in her foot. I don't like that. <laughs> but okay so then the next point which is point three is the first one-on-one date of the movie right because chris is now like i'm in he got the kiss i got naomi she still seems interested which is a first for me so let's go for this right maybe he's just a really bad kisser but naomi's never kissed anyone so she doesn't know she's never kissed a man yeah so when they did kiss it does seem like liz is a little bit jealous Oh, yeah, absolutely. She claims to not be, but she definitely is. And so things get weird between Liz and Naomi, too. And so that morning when Naomi wakes up... It's got to be awkward when they're in their bunk beds that night. Right. But that morning when Naomi wakes up to the text from Chris inviting her to hang out, Liz is already gone, which has not happened. Normally they wake up together. So yeah, so the solo date, this is the first time that Chris is asking just Naomi to hang out. And Liz is off. She's got other plans with the high school friends. They're going to plan the dance and everything. Right. You know, they throw an annual unofficial class reunion (laughs) at the school every Christmas Eve. And everybody is there. No one has family business on Christmas Eve. They all go to the unofficial reunion that is held at school. Will, would your school allow this to happen? No! (laughs) Nobody would go, even if they did. This is the date where Naomi asks Chris why he's a vegan, and he just refuses to answer, right? Yes, and this is after, I believe this is after he goes to Hanukkah at Liz's house, and she sees him eat some locks. Liz is so pleased when she sees that. She's like, oh, I caught him. He's a liar. Which reminded me of um, 
27 dresses when, oh, the sister, I can't remember the sister's name, but she like pretends to be a vegetarian because George is vegetarian. And then at the rehearsal dinner, Catherine Heigl's character does the slideshow exposing her sister. Oh, right. Yeah. But it was like her catching Chris eating the locks reminded me of that. I like when Chris shows up to Liz's house for the Hanukkah party and he has brought Liz and Naomi identical bouquets. Oh, right. Like he was still holding on hope for that three-way. Right, he's like, I've got Naomi locked down, but can I open this up? <laughs> you cannot convince me otherwise. That's what's happening. The movie has no idea what story it's telling. No, and they even, I believe, like, the summary calls it a love triangle. It's weirder than that. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. But yeah, so the whole locks thing and, like, Liz tells Naomi, but Naomi doesn't believe her. So when they're on their solo date, They, again, they're having a heart-to-heart. They talk about their dreams. Oh, they go to get a hot chocolate flight, which is also vegan. And Naomi basically says, like, yeah, the only dreams I've ever had were the ones I had as a child, like opening a bakery or whatever. But those are kid dreams. And Liz dragged me into this app, and that's where I am. And Chris is like, no, you should chase those dreams. Like I did of becoming a soldier, carpenter, electrician teacher. Right. All the jobs I knew about when I was six, I have done. And Naomi basically is like, oh, Liz needs me for the app. But the app is being sold and they plan to cut and run before their stock options are vested. (laughs) So that's the end of point three. Point four is a couple minutes later while they're still on their solo date. When Chris asks Naomi to move back home to be with him. After like, two days. After two days, and this is their first solo date. The rest of them have been group dates. Yes, but again, you've got to keep in mind, he has never successfully kissed someone <laughs> twice. That's true. He's really trying to make it happen. <laughs> so he asks her to move back, and she's like, but my job is in the Bay Area. What would I do here? And she gets up from the table, and she panics. She tries to call Liz, but Liz is off with her new friends. Um, And while she's away from the table, she sees Chris eat some meat off of her plate. And they essentially break up at that point. The movie keeps implying that he is, like, harboring dark secrets. And this is just the (laughs) tip of the iceberg. Yes. And, like, that's why Liz is so excited when she sees him eat the locks. She's like, this whole man is a house of cards. He Beneath is Beneath every Chris is a mountain of lies. The Duke of Deception. Yeah, that's what he is. So, <laughs> then our last point, point five, is at the high school reunion winter I, dance. Oh, go ahead. I just want to reiterate again. <laughs> yes. That we're at, like, the lowest point in the movie and everyone's fighting and there's six minutes left. Yes. At this point, the fighting has gotten so widespread that Liz is complaining her mom did not chaperone a high school dance that Liz did not attend. Well, and in all of this, we find out that, like, Liz and Naomi each thought that the other one didn't want to go to the dance, but secretly they each did and they just stayed home. These girls need to work out their communication with each other. But also, get over yourself. It was 20 years ago. Right. And then this is when the whole Stanford thing comes up. It's it's really bad. Doesn't hang on. I know we're getting into the last point. Am I misremembering, or does Liz try to accept her twenty year old Stanford acceptance at the end of this movie? She talks about going back for a master's. Okay. And she Which could is probably normal, maybe but get she in. does not. But she does not try to like claim the letter from twenty years earlier. Maybe no. she made a joke. I don't know. I don't remember that. It was a while ago, so it's fine. Yeah. 
Um, but so point five, reunited. So they're at the jingle ball that Liz put together with all the other high school friends. I had jingle ball in my notes and I hadn't been saying it because I assumed that I had just used it as shorthand because surely this event could not be called the jingle ball. <laughs> well, this isn't that what it's called in Mean Girls? unofficial high school reunion hosted at their high school. So no, stupid. No, the high school event is also called the jingle ball. Yeah. Yeah. So they were hosting like their own jingle ball as alumni. I feel like the implication is that their class threw the jingle ball in high school and has continued to throw it for the next 20 years for themselves. Oh, I thought that was just an idea they came up with because Liz was there. That might be it. But also, again, get over yourself. Either way, it's dumb. So they're there and like Liz and Chris are the first ones to show up and they talk about Naomi and Chris is like, oh, you guys will be okay. And she's not sure about it. Um, And they talk about clinging to the past, but Liz is worried that Naomi doesn't need her anymore. And Chris, this is when we get the big reveal when Chris admits to sometimes being pescatarian. Which is the flattest resolution to that lying storyline. Yes, yes, it is. And then (laughs) Naomi shows up and she walks over to Chris and she kind of says that he didn't really understand what she was saying. She was scared when he brought up the future, but she also wants it. So she kind of decides that she's going to stay there and be with him. And there you are together. Stupid. Yep. And at the Uh. end, just since we were talking about how Naomi and Liz are really together, they do decide that they are going to sell their company and each try something new on their own. Imagine breaking up with your long-term girlfriend for Chris. Big mistake. I feel like they're going to talk to the people who are buying the app and the people buying the app will be like, no, we like, you're supposed to stay. <laughs> right, we we bought someone you. to run this app. And then they'll just be like, oh, and then stick around anyway. Yeah. Like they're not going to continue working on that app, but they also are not going to get the money. <sighs> anyway, so dumb. I don't have this... high hopes for their futures. Yeah. But do you find the romance between Naomi and Chris believable? No. I mean, I'm concerned that, Like, now Naomi is out of a job. She's not going to get the money from the sale. And it's got to be expensive going out with those people every night. (laughs) I just... I've never seen a movie with people more clinging to high school at 35. No, I have not either. Well, I have not yet, Mark, made you watch The Turkey Bowl. Which is a movie about a high school football rivalry. That has persisted to people who are like in their late 30s to the point that when the former star is going through town and gets arrested for speeding or something, the judge sentences him to play in a rematch game against the rival high school. Ugh, I hate that. So Fiona, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable and 1 the least, where would you rate Never Been Christ? I'm thinking like a 2. You know, I believe that someone might go home and reconnect with someone that they went to high school with and that they always had a crush on. But like, the timeline here is way too short. And the fact that he asks her to stay with him, that's where I lose it. Let's also not forget the fact that he is playing the field. Yes, exactly. I'm good with the two. I'm going one. This movie's outrageous. (laughs) I just think that like, Naomi is clearly so up that she would 
go out with Chris, even if he's being this weird towards Liz. Okay, that's probably true. Yeah. All right, I'll go to it too. Do you think Naomi and Chris are dateable? Absolutely not. No, of course not. No. He's a bad kisser. She is... She has a lot of issues. Look, she's kind of dumb. Everyone in this movie has so many issues. But, like, the movie is all but explicit that, like, Liz is the smart friend and Naomi is the dumb friend. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Do you think Naomi and Chris will stay together? (laughs) Kind of. I I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. I don't think Naomi really has anything else going for her. So I think she might try to cling to that. Will Chris stick with it? I don't know. I don't remember. Does her mom decide to leave town at the end or not? No. No, She decides to stay. She stays. Okay. I think Naomi is going to grow to resent Chris so quickly for taking her away from her one true love, Liz. Yeah. Could be. And again, he's a bad kisser. If you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, who would you choose? Do we think getting Chris was ever a dare? Like, some of the girls in high school were like, you're not going to believe what a bad kisser Chris is. <laughs> and that's part of how he worked his way through such a big portion of the school. Because they all wanted to see it for themselves. It's like it's like looking at the turd, right? You gotta know. Maybe. But I think, in terms of who is the most dateable, I think that my choice is Liz's stepfather. That's who I was going to go with. Oh. I think that, look, the man really hasn't done anything wrong. Liz's real issue is with her mom. And there's even a scene where Liz and her mom are starting to talk and he starts to walk into the room and quickly just backs out. He's smart. He knows where when to be there and when not to be. And, you know, I don't know. He seems like a nice enough person. He really exists to try and bridge the gap between Liz and her mom. Yep. And seems nice and supportive. Yeah. And, like, seems to probably be a pretty good dad to Jojo. I mean, Jojo seems to have turned out great. Yeah. Who would um, you pick, Will? I was gonna say, like, the nice lady in the high school group, the one who helps Liz plan the dance. Okay, Carly. but she's very stuck on high school still. She is. That's kind of the thing that makes me a little hesitant. Cause because she wants to be the, that, the dance queen again. She is very welcoming and friendly and, like... She's not as much of a loon as Liz and Naomi are. True. But, you know, I think I can kind of forgive it because by the time they're at the dance, she realizes, like, wait a minute, like, I don't need to be the dance queen. Like, I'm 35. Yeah, she actually does have a realization. Yeah, she's like, these these maniacs are sucking us back into high school mode, but I don't have to live like that. Yeah. (laughs) She kind of, like, snaps out of it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe she was in a trance the whole time. She has a sudden memory of what it's like to be Chris, and she's like, I don't want that. Maybe Chris is like a dark, evil wizard. Some and, kind of sorcerer. Yeah, and he's got this group of friends that he has put under a spell so that he can have people to hang out with since, you know, none of the girls want to actually hang out with him. And then Liz and Naomi come back, and he tries to put the charms on them so he can have his polygamist marriage. So, Fiona, that sounds like a premise for a song. And so what I need to know is, should Never Been Christ be adapted into a stage musical? Only if they turn it into something with a polygamist dark sorcerer. So that would be no, then. <laughs> so a different movie. <laughs> yeah, yes. A fully different story. Or, you know, one that says, inspired by the film Never Been Christ. 
this movie should be flushed down the toilet and never seen again. Well, Fiona, speaking of shady behavior, next week we're talking about Eyes Wide Shut. I've never seen that. <laughs> kind of incredible. Highly recommend. Okay. It is a Christmas movie, so we'll be doing it on Christmas Day. Fiona, I think that this would be a great Christmas movie for you to watch. Really in line with the other movies we bring you on to talk about. Oh, okay, okay. Great movie to watch with your spouse. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. It is genuinely a great movie. It is okay. a, a, like, incredible movie. Okay. And it is funny, but it is not frivolous in the way that these movies are. Okay. It's like a major work of art. Okay. And if you want to hear us talk about it, you can listen next week. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod and email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Helps other people find the show. Last question, Fiona. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Never Been Chris? Um, be willing to try vegan experiences. It's actually not terrible advice. <laughs> it worked for Naomi. Mine is uh, bunk beds can put a lot of stress on a relationship when you're not used to sleeping that way. Um, my advice is mixing your romantic life and your business life can cause stress down the line. But they say at the beginning, during their presentation, shouldn't your partner be your best friend? A nice little double meaning that they're slipping past the person they're selling to. Fair enough, but it does not work out great for them in the end. No, it does not. They'll never speak to each other again. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. (laughs) And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. It was an intimate date, just you and me At a magical place where refills are free Then your buddy showed up and tore us apart Their forces of evil, a knife through my heart so, so.